This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. It has practically become trendy for some people, particularly celebrities, to reveal their trials and tribulations of battling depression. It is almost as if you have not lived unless you can express that you know depression. People are starting to wear it like a badge of courage. Although this coming out has helped to destigmatize the illness, it also has had a spin-off effect on reducing the perceived seriousness of it. To the uninformed, watching Jim Carrey reveal his bout with depression on 60 Minutes made it difficult to appreciate how debilitating it is. The seemingly apparent contradiction of a zany comedian who starred in the movie Dumb and Dumber and yet expressed his battles with depression did not add up. To add to the recent celebrity revelations, people often now use the word depression loosely and in a generic context to denote a temporary lapse of enjoyment, as in, I know how you feel, I have felt depressed myself. Depression and feeling depressed are not even in the same ballpark. The differentiation is critical. The seriousness and impact of the illness must not be lost in the zest for society to understand and accept the dis-ease. It is a delicate balance indeed, writes Bruce. Valeria Tellez interviews Bruce R. Ross, the author of Breaking Free of Depression's Grip, a powerful success story. Bruce R. Ross has lived with depression and anxiety for his adult life more than 45 years. Despite this disease 24-7, Bruce overcame its debilitating effects and has led a successful family life, career, and personal life. After 34 years working in the credit union sector, Bruce retired as a senior vice president, finance from a $1 billion financial institution. He is a lecturer at Fanshawe College, has a Bachelor of Commerce degree, Chartered Professional Accountants CPA certification, is Certified Financial Planner CFP designation, and he has a Master's of Business Administration MBA degree. Bruce finished five marathons after the age of 35 and completed three triathlons, including a half Ironman after the age of 40. He traveled to all 50 U.S. states and all 10 Canadian provinces. Bruce was born and raised in Nova Scotia and moved to Ontario in 1987. He currently resides in Mayford with his wife, Cheryl, and daughter, Hannah. Meet Bruce at brucerross.ca. Here's the interview with Bruce R. Ross. In your own words, who is Bruce R. Ross? Thanks for asking, Valeria. Um, Bruce R. Ross, uh, R is my middle name, uh, Roderick, so that's where you get the R from. I'm 62 years old. I live in Canada. I was born and raised in Nova Scotia, which is eastern province of, of Canada. 
But I moved to Ontario in 1987, and uh, I lived about two hours north of Toronto, so centrally located within Canada now. I've been married to my wife, Cheryl, a music teacher, retired music teacher. I've been married for 26 years. Worked in the financial sector in Canada and retired a couple of years ago as the senior vice president of a fairly large credit union. But the reason I'm here today, frankly, is I'm a, a typical individual, frankly, who, who suffered or dealt with depression and anxiety as well for my entire adult life. So it's 45 years or more. And I've uh, experienced most um, treatments that, that are on the available for depression sufferers, mostly to no avail, but it's been a lengthy journey. And as a result, I've written quite a, I believe, an inspiring book, Depression on Depression, called Breaking Free of Depression's Grip, which I believe we'll talk about later, that chronicles my lifelong journey with depression and provides hope for those depression sufferers that not is all lost by as a result of the disease. So that's uh, in a compact version of, of who I am and and I'm ready for questions, Valeria. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Bruce, again, for sharing the message, for being you, for being open to life. That's what I see. So my second official question is about joy or happiness. How would you describe what joy is or happiness? Well, that's a tough question to ask, frankly, because I, I've I, that has escaped me for so long in life, really since grade nine, that I've experienced true joy. It's very difficult for me to quantify that because I've, I've lacked it for so long, and that's what I've been on a journey to search for joy. But it certainly, to me, I can visualize it as appreciating and loving true love of my family and events of life and appreciating life for what it is and not dwelling on the kind of the negatives, but appreciating the positives. That to me is joy. And fortunately, that has escaped me. So it's very difficult for me to explain because I, I really don't typically feel it. And uh, it, it's been a been a struggle for all these years. So it's very difficult to to put into words. You did mention positivity. So keeping ourselves positive or focused, kind of our attention in the positive things. Kind of what comes to me is gratitude, being grateful for what we have. That automatically makes me happy. So that kind of makes sense when you say that, when you connect happiness and joy to positivity. And another question I have is about the purpose of the human experience. What do you think that is? I, I, the purpose of the human experience is to do what's right uh, for your fellow human being. I, I believe any situation that would apply to my one of my greatest uh, admired individuals is Martin Luther King Jr. And he had a, a quote, a saying of it's, "the time is always right to do what's right," and I believe I've I've dealt, I've aspired to reach that, to live by that quote, and treat my own uh, my fellow human beings um, in that manner. You know, to do what's right to others as as you would expect. So that that would kind of be my take on it. Yeah, and I wonder why, Bruce, a lot of times, and I have asked the question here, why do we feel so strongly about helping others and doing the right thing, as you say? 
I'm not sure why it is. I, I think it's innate human behavior, I believe. I mean, we're social animals by nature and have been for thousands of years. So I, I believe that you gain acceptance. And if you do support others and treat others kindly and with compassion, I, I believe it makes you feel part of the social group that we're innately conditioned to do. So I, I think that's really it. I, th- I think there's a bit of a scientific answer to that question. That very much resonates right. with me. I guess to add to that is that I wonder why some of us have kind of gotten away from that path. It's almost like um, going against our own nature. And instead of supporting and helping others, we have been seeing that in this um, earth, human beings doing the opposite, killing one another starting wars and all that. So I wonder, how did that happen? You know what, Valerie, I'm not sure really about that one, but I agree it does seem to be a tendency of recent years for that to have happened, for some of our societies to be fragmented. Uh, I, I know in Canada and the United States, they're both experiencing that now. In the political realm, it just does seem to be happening. I sometimes wonder if, if what it is and a little more business approach to it, the, the answer is is people are it's less land of opportunity for for the western world than it used to be than it was say 50 years ago the resources are a little, t- little tighter people aren't growing economically as, as much as they used to be and they're getting a little more protective i i believe and and I think they they are looking inward instead of outward, unfortunately, and looking at serving themselves as best they can and kind of forgetting their fellow human being. I, I think that's what's happening, but that's just my conjecture. Right. So it's the focus on the results and money making and yes. right. It feels very unnatural to me. Yes. And I do believe that we can survive, in a sense, and thrive in every way if we unite, if we help ourselves and others at the same time. That's how I feel. But not all of us feel this way. Well, it's interesting. You know, I know it's very troubling times what's happening in Ukraine right now. But if there's some irony, it has united most of the world for common cause to support Ukrainians. And that's kind of an interesting phenomena. Unfortunately, it does have does have feelings of World War II uh, leading up to that, and that's very troubling. But if there is a positive, most of the world is, is really kind of gathering around a, a, a central goal, and that is peace and um, help the Ukrainians. So there is a bit of a positive. But, but the message is we can... Focus on the positive amidst anything, right, Bruce, in a way. We have this ability. seems like it's an innate kind of ability we all have, which is amazing. With that in mind, do you have any spiritual ideas, insights, belief systems? Well, I'm certainly, you know, I believe in God, and and, uh, I am a Christian for what it's worth. Probably not as much of a practicing Christian as I should be, but mm-hmm. but I certainly believe in it. Uh, but I respect other individuals uh, uh, for what their belief system is, whether or not there is a God or not. Uh, that's fine with me, too. I don't have a preference one or another as 
as far as what other people do. I believe in in that it's their right and their you know prerogative to believe in what they they that what they believe is right. And uh, um, but my so that's really part of my belief system. It is uh, I have some core values myself. In fact, I believe my own ethics and integrity which really isn't a belief system as per se, but my own integrity and, and ethics got me through some of the tough times that we'll be talking about shortly. And um, that was a sense of comfort for me and that that I would do the right thing and, and be able to march on despite the tough times that I endured. You wrote the book, Breaking Free of Depression's Grip, A Powerful Success Story. So, my initial questions are, how did you become a writer and what was the main inspiration, which we already have an idea, and intention of writing your book? Well, it's interesting because the reason I started to write the book, which is, I started over 10 years ago, was actually as a self-help measure. It was one of the many self-help measures I undertook to combat the illness uh, in addition to the professional measures that I undertook with the, the doctors and so forth. In the medical profession, but I but I started writing it for uh, therapeutic reasons because I'd read that if you have ruminating and uneasy thoughts in your mind, that if you put them on paper, it helps to resolve some of the take the pressure off your what's going on in your head, so to speak, because you 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 externalize them onto paper. So that's how I started as a therapeutic measure. And that's uh, it. Just evolved from there. I, I chronicled my life and how I felt and how I didn't feel and so forth. And then what happened? The more I wrote, and particularly in the last couple of years with the onset of COVID, with the increase in mental health issues in our societies, that there could be a market for my journey to share with individuals who are experiencing much the same as I am. So that's how. It started and how it evolved to where it is today. Let me ask you another question, open question about your book. What was the most challenging chapter or passage in your book? The most challenging passage or chapter to write? Hmm. Good question. Surprisingly, I didn't have a lot of trouble writing most of the chapters. It, it flowed fairly easily, and which is surprising in particular because I'm a private person by nature. So to write it in, you know, be very candid in my thoughts and feelings and experiences and put in, in for the public view, which is kind of surprising. But your question, the most difficult, it wasn't a complete chapter, but it was a section of a chapter that was most difficult, I found, was to write about my family. Unfortunately, my family was not close. We, I call it emotional difference. I have two brother, older brothers, and I had, uh, you know, of course, parents. And the five of us were living in the house, grew up in the house, but we weren't really, really a family unit. We were just five individuals living under the same roof. There wasn't a lot of love or affection shown in our household at all, all um, by any means. And I honestly believe that contributed to how I felt later on in life. But I felt very, I, it was very difficult to write about that subject because it was very personal. And also, I recognize that in our society, it's very taboo to speak negatively about parents. And so I, I had to be very careful of that, very cognizant of that. 
So I, I would say that was the most difficult part to to talk about my family relationship and so forth. I, I think that was probably the most difficult component of the book. It wasn't a whole chapter, but it was certainly a component. Thank you for sharing that, Bruce. I can relate to that, of course, because mm. I wrote a book about my own story and I did hesitated a lot to kind of expose my parents right. and how yeah. unloving they were. Exactly. Ah, yeah. that was a tough one, but I did it anyway. You knew too. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the elephant in the room that people really don't want to talk about uh, parental relationships. It's just uh, kind of a bit of a taboo topic, and I, I think we'd be better served if we did open up about it and at least talk about it candidly. But as I say, it seems to be a bit of the, the elephant. But, I, you know, so I, I was uh, aware of that as well. So I was pretty careful of what I wrote, too. I never had children. So you have children. Uh, you have a daughter, right? So how did that affect you? Did you try to be quite the opposite? Well, I'm, I'm, that's, I'm trying to break the chain for sure. The, and yes, I, I found I was kind of extreme the other, or have been somewhat extreme the other way. I've been very involved in Hannah, her name is. She's a third year uh, university student in Ontario. I've tried to stay involved in her life, unlike my own parents, and 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 tried to show her love and affection that she deserves. That will that will hopefully help her get a start in life and and be on her own and and be kind of safe and feel secure in the world. Just to give you an indication. Uh, Hannah's on the university figure uh, synchronized skating team, and they had the championships, the provincial championships, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I drove three hours just to watch her and her rest of her team perform for I think it was three minutes. But I drove the three hours just for that, just to watch her pl- just watch her skate for three minutes. That. Uh, uh, that was just my commitment to her that because there was nobody else there to watch her, you know, from family, that is. But I made sure I could, I made it. So that was just a kind of extreme measure I took, undertook, which my parents didn't with me. So She wants to become a psychologist, I believe. Yes, that, that's, yes, that's correct. She's in the psychology program now. It's called the psychology with the concentration in neuroscience and behavior and that's her intent, is to go into the uh, mental health field, uh, as you say, psychologist. And that I didn't try to influence her by, to do that by any means, but I'm certainly happy she has chosen to go that route. And I, I'm certainly sure that I have been an influence on her to better people's lives. Um, and that's why she's chosen it. She, she saw, she's seen what I've gone through, although I tried to insulate her from my pain but still she saw it anyway and has come you know made up her mind that she's going to want a bit of a mission to help other people in the future so power to her I I very much support her. So moving to the topic of depression and anxiety in the book you say I think it was the description of the book it says that you endured depression and its twin generalized anxiety disorder I never thought about depression and anxiety as being connected but they are right Bruce typically you see both together not all the time but you do and in fact in my case I'm 
I've never had a doctor tell me this, but I, in fact, the, the investigative background is that the causes of the depression have been minimal. But I, I think that what I know now is I think anxiety is, has been as much a contributor to my mental health issues as the depression. I, I think it was almost, you know, maybe instead of being 90% depression, 10% anxiety, I think it's probably more 60% uh, depression, 40 anxiety. So I think anxiety actually played a much greater role than I thought earlier on in my, my life. And But they are quite often go hand in hand. So that's why I refer to them as a twin sister. There's a, a topic in your book that really caught my attention when it comes. I interview a lot of people here on mental health, emotional health, all kinds of health, but especially emotional health mm. and mental health and also spiritual health. So um, caught my attention when you said that there is a difference between the depression, the disorder, and feeling depressed. So I would love to hear more about that, Bruce. Well, I, I think what's happened in recent years, it's been positive and it's been negative. There are a lot of celebrities that have come out of the woodwork in, in recent times with interviews and television appearances and so forth to express that they've had depression. And it's almost overkill in the sense everybody's talking about it. And it, it kind of reduces the effectiveness of, of, or not the effectiveness, but the seriousness of the disease of depression, it's almost as if you haven't lived life unless you had depression. So if somebody's, for lack of a better term, is bummed out for a little bit, you know, they're deemed to have depression and know what you're, you know, know it's all about. And, and I, I kind of beg to differ. I, I think depression is a little more, a little deeper, a little more intensive, a little more chronic in most cases, than simply the, having the, the blues. I, I think uh, not, not to take away from the, you know, feeling feeling depressed, but um, I don't think it's the same as being having depression. I, I think depression is much deeper, deep-seated, deep-rooted than having the depre depressive type of feelings, which are more temporary and more, little, not lighter, but certainly not as intense. So how would you describe that? Because I know in your case, it, it was um, depression, the disorder, and not just feeling depressed. What are the signs actually for the listeners? That would be great for them to know and what to watch for in a way. Well, there's certainly a couple, you know, you know, separate into two components. One is the mental component and the second one is the, the physical component. But the mental component for major depressive orders, just like cancer, there's a number of different types of cancers, obviously. So depression's the same way. But when people talk about depression, they typically are referring to major depressive disorder or clinical depression or severe depression or just a generic term, depression. So that's what I've had and dealt with for so many years. But some of the symptoms... The two most noteworthy is you just lost interest in 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 doing anything to getting out of the out of bed type of thing to, to going out for social activities, and there's just an overall depressed mood. So just a you know kind of cloud over your head kind of thing, and there's you know deeper thoughts like suicidal thoughts is quite prevalent because you feel as if you'd be better off if you weren't alive, which is, so that's obviously very serious. And uh, but and hopelessness. Quite often, you feel very hopeless, 
And also one interesting thing, it's not really a symptom, but it's a result of it, is that you feel very alone. Now, there's something like the 280 million people worldwide have depression, but you, when you have depression, you feel like you're the only one. That you have. And so it's a very lonely experience. So those are some of the uh, mental kind of aspects. But the physical aspects, there are some physical components too, such as fatigue, you know, loss of appetite, um, just uh, problems sleeping, maybe a psychometer agitation, so fidgeting and or rubbing your hands, that type of thing. So some physical issues that, that resonate with with depression, but the mental ones are, are mostly the, the concern, concerns. And another one would be poor concentration. It's very difficult to concentrate when you're depressed. It's very, um, you just don't want to concentrate. You, even reading a book can be a challenge. You just want to really, for lack of a better term, veg out, so to speak. You know, those are some of the symptoms and characteristics. But And this is actually... I can resonate with some of them because I experienced uh, feeling depressed. And now I'm wondering if I actually was depressed, the disorder was depression. Does it have a cure? Like now, are you completely cured and healed from depression? No, in fact, I probably will never be. But having said that, you know, for uh, just to recap or to put in perspective, I've had depression for about 45 years, a little more than that. But the first 20 were undiagnosed. I just struggled along uh, with something I didn't know what was wrong with me. And it wasn't until about 25 years ago that it was finally diagnosed. You know, that's the kind of timelines. Um, so and so, during that time, I tried over 20 different medications. So many I've lost count. Some of them in, in by themselves. Some of them augmenting other uh medications but they were really ineffective I, i've been a lot of other treatments therapy obviously the dreaded electroconvulsive therapy ect you know and, and i grew up in the era that you know mental health issues were from what you read or saw on one floor of the cuckoo's nest with the jack nicholson you know that famous oh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah and uh yeah so ect was in that movie and so that but anyway, I tried that, didn't work, and, and many other treatments. Having said all that, in the last year, my doctor did try a fairly new medication. It's not an, actually an antidepressant. It's actually a antipsychotic drug that is used for other purposes, including depression. And that is, it's called Brexelti, is, is, I guess, the brand name. So to, to, get, you know, to ask, answer your question, to get around to that, you mentioned about a cure. It's not a cure, but it certainly has resolved or relieved some of the depressive symptoms as for salty medication. And so I, I'm sticking with that. It's There are some side effects. I have nausea and lightheadedness, but I've kind of made the trade-off. The, you know, I have a balance in to that I will have, I will take the mental health improvement at the expense of physical health challenges. And I've just... And, you know, in my mind, that tells me that the mental health pain, the relief from that is more important than from physical health pain. So that's that's probably as much as the cures I'm going to get to Valeria is, yeah. is thanks to the Rexalting. I want to go back to the um, prior discovering that you suffer from depression. 
You have accomplished a lot, Bruce, in your life. You have done a lot. So how is that possible to suffer from depression as you did and still do everything that you have done? Well, that's a good question, Valerie. That's certainly a contradiction. There's no yeah. question. It, it's interesting. I, one of the characteristics of depression or symptoms is typically that you have lost hope in the future. In my case, I didn't lose hope, and I don't know why. I just didn't. I always believed that if I accomplished another goal, that I would, you know, my ship would come in, so to speak, and I would find some contentment and peace in my life. So that's what drove me to accomplish a lot of the goals you speak of. I have a pretty strong post-academic education. I've traveled. uh, I had a lot of interest in traveling to the United States and Canada. I've been to all 50 of of the United States. And um, I took exercise to the extreme. Yeah, you did. (laughs) I had read that if you exercise, that will relieve some depression. So I started... When I was 38 years old, I picked up uh, running for the first time, and five months later, I ran the Pittsburgh Marathon. Then after that, I ran the New York City Marathon and the Chicago Marathon, and then the Park City, Utah Marathon, and then Detroit Marathon. So I've run five marathons, and that was a self-help measure to make me feel better, to get me to feel better. It wasn't particularly effective, but it was one more goal that I accomplished. But what I found was that the finish line kept on moving back, so to speak. I'd accomplished one goal, and I still wasn't satisfied, so I'd look for another goal. So when the marathon didn't do it, then I escalated to triathlon-loning when I was in my 40s. In fact, when I was almost 42 years old, I ran a half, half Ironman triathlon. And for the listeners, that entails a two-kilometer swim, a 90-kilometer bike ride, and a half-marathon run. It took me over six hours, but I did it. But that wasn't the solution for the depression, so I kept on moving forward for that and accomplished several other goals. I'm a lecturer at a college in in Ontario here. I do that part-time and as well. Um, So other things like that. But that's they were goals that I kept on looking for you know to make help me feel better and then a number of years ago oh i also obtained my mba when i was 55 years old that's right that's not so all attempts to help me feel better and they were self-help attempts so that's all it's a contradiction to say you had depression and you were still able to upset that's true but there's a kind of rationale for for taking on these projects unfortunately they weren't particularly effective and you know, after a while, a couple of years ago, I kind of gave up and said, uh, doesn't matter what I do, I'm just not going to find peace and contentment. So I kind of accepted that. And listening to you kind of resonates again with my own story of feeling so bad emotionally mm. that I was trying everything to feel better physically, all these accomplishments, all the and nothing made me feel better. 
And then I was, I kind of wondered if when I start writing the book, if that has had to do with my self-esteem. Yes. Because I had very low self-esteem. I had no love. And I was trying to kind of inflate my self-esteem to make me feel like I was worth something and kind of adding value by adding all these things from the outside. And it never really happened. Never. And then uh, for me, it was really a shift in perspective in a sense of spirituality. I mean, some call it spirituality, which to me, it's almost like it's the truth now with capital T that we are all unconditionally loved by right. life itself, not by God, any entity, but life is um, utterly supportive of itself, like plants and flowers, you see they're all like, wow, they're flourishing. That's the message it's trying to tell us all the time. That's okay to feel sad. It's just try to look deeper into the That's nature right. of life, which is incredibly beautiful. Yes, it is. Yeah. I don't know how that happened. And then it shifted the mind. It was a shift in perspective or perception. And then I became very joyful and happy almost every day. <laughs> and I'm like, I have no idea how that happened either, but it just happened. Happened. I, I can tell you that hasn't quite happened for to me yet. I realize that from a rational and logical perspective, I need to do that, but to appreciate and love and so forth. But it's been very difficult to make that transition. I'm very fortunate with my wife, Cheryl, and my daughter to have a loving relationship with them. But it. it somewhat one way that's more there to me than than me to them. I, I just have trouble showing affection, and that's very disappointing to me, and I try to overcome that, but it's, it's a challenge. I haven't quite made that transition yet, but I, I'm still working on it. In the book, towards the end, you do mention some factors that are contributors to depression, and you actually say that's actually a combination of them. So you mentioned genetics, environmental, psychological, chemistry, a hearing loss. It surprised me, as I said, off record. And then learning disability and analytical. So talk to me for a moment about these factors, if you could. Sure. Well, I, I think the first uh, num, num, uh, ones you mentioned, Valeria, are pretty recognized ones, the chemistry the genetics and so forth, I think those apply to me. I've never really had a doctor spend a lot of time investigating the, the source of the depression and anxiety, but that's from my own research, really. But I, I think the chemistry, is I, it's been traced back to early high school, which is when the chemical changes take place in your body with puberty and, and that type of thing. So I think chemistry has a lot to do with it. The environment, I kind of mentioned earlier, it's kind of the taboo topic, but I, I think my negative lack of loving family certainly contributed to my alienated type of feelings that I have to this day. So I think that's a contributor. Genetics, certainly, that is something the medical profession does believe that that has a pretty strong role in depression. I look at my father and my two brothers, and they were never diagnosed with depression because they never went to the doctor, but uh, they would be diagnosed uh, right away if they were. So the hearing one is an interesting one. I've never had a doctor suggest that, but I have a moderate hearing loss in both ears. I wear hearing aids, and I have for years. Before I had them, it was very difficult to, to uh, you always felt alienated because you couldn't hear people, especially in the crowd. And so you kind of zone out from the conversations and, and feel more alone in, in the crowd than than under normal circumstances with the depression. So I, I think 
the the hearing loss certainly had a, a a bit of a contributing factor to it. I forget some of the other ones that you mentioned, but those are the the key ones that I that I relate to certainly. That's what we need to hear the ones that you relate to the most, right? That comes to mind. That makes so much sense. The hearing loss that makes sense to me too because. Actually, a huge part of communication is listening, is deep listening. Yes. It's not just uh, talking. So that makes sense. That would affect the brain. You say the pain of depression tends to subside somewhat as a person ages. So with time, you're saying that it tends to become better. Yeah, I, I think probably what I'm relating to, referring to there is when you get older, the, some of the peer pressure that was prominent when you were younger for social events and so forth, and to put on a show, let's face it, when you're you know you have that peer pressure when you're younger, those when you as you age and become much more settled in your life, then those aren't real factors. So really, aren't under the pressure to perform, I guess, as for others as you were earlier in life. So that's why I think the aging process has certainly helped. I, you know, it's, it, it, it relieves the depression. I, I think it's lessened somewhat. I'm not sure some seniors would agree with that statement because the loneliness is so prevalent with a lot of seniors, and that's one of the characteristics of depression. And I know that a lot of seniors deal with, with the loneliness. Well, but for me, I'm, I'm a bit of a loner, so it hasn't bothered me to not be as part of much of a social scene as it used to be, the pressure for that. And then the second positive aspect, if there is one, is that you mentioned earlier about um, escape-motivated accomplishments. And yes. you actually said that, I wonder if depression drove me to achieve as much as I did in a self-help attempt to overcome it. So you talked about this earlier that might be connected, and it was certainly my case. Yes. And then the three, you say that the understanding of depression, it has grown these days. So yes. it's more open, right, to talk about mental health. Oh, would you like to add something? No, no, really, no there's certainly a number of people, as we talked about earlier, that have come out of it um, and, and, and promoted the significance of depression, how, how real it is. I mean, Oprah Winfrey is somebody who's come out, uh, Ellen's generous, um, Brad Pitt. I mean, what guy wouldn't want to look like Brad Pitt? And, you know, how can he have, dep have had depression? You know, we talked to Ukraine a little while ago briefly, and, you know, timely to, to mention Winston Churchill. You know, he was, uh, he called his black dog. Uh, he had depression. Abe Lincoln, one of the most respected uh, presidents in the United States, he suffered from depression all the time, ongoing. So, I mean, it just, uh, those are historical figures, but they're becoming more prominent now. Um, you know, Rob Williams is kind of a sad testament to depression, but he, uh, he talked about it a little bit, and Princess Diana, on and on to go. So, anyway, it's coming more expose it it's um and more accepted at the end of the book you talk about recommendations from your experience so right. you mentioned some of them accepted it's one and then learn and then you you mentioned tabloid magazine solutions are not right uh share with important people yes. uh, keep up the fight and you're not alone 
A question that I have before we end the conversation today is about psychedelics or psilocybin mushrooms. There are actually lots of research today that shows the effectiveness of psychedelics. So I'm wondering if you tried, I think you didn't mention that in the book, but have you thought about psychedelics for depression? I've certainly opened any objective, medically proven process for to combat the depression. I haven't tried the psychedelic one. Those are fairly uh, recent phenomena. I, having said that, I the, the one drug I have tried is ketamine. Oh yeah, right. Ketamine was on the on. It was a hippie drug of choice in the sixties, and I believe recently it's been abused as a rate date drug. But under medically supervised conditions, it's been proven to be effective for major depression. In fact, it was on the cover of Time, of co- uh, cover of Time magazine a couple of years ago as the most uh, promising breakthrough in depression since Prozac. But uh, so I tried that. It was re- um, administered by IV, uh, but uh, frankly, I. I but I didn't find it effective, so I moved on, and I haven't moved on to the psychedelic ones yet. Those are fairly, still fairly new. I love that you tried so many different, uh, you're open to try different methods and treatments. Yeah. That's really, really wonderful. Thank you for that, Bruce, because then you become this statement of life itself trying to support itself and to flourish It's a beautiful message. So we're almost at the end. I do have a few more questions for you. Would you like to add anything else or read a passage in your book? I don't have a passage as per se, but I'll just briefly recap the book. It it chronicles my journey of 45 plus years of depression and anxiety, details some of the the professional and self-help measures, some of them that we talked about today, and also talks about what I learned, what I didn't learn, how I opened up to friends, some of the interpersonal issues that I dealt with as a result of the depression. But in the end, it's, um, you know, it's a book. It's written not by a PhD or MD, but an average North American who's lived it, lived it for so long. And it, it shares what it's truly like to live with depression. Uh, there's no preaching morals or cures in the book. But it is one of hope, and the hope is is that you can achieve it greatly in life despite the burden of depression and other mental illnesses for 24-7. That's really the message. And it's a positive message. It's an underlying message. It doesn't bonk you on the head, so to speak. That's really <laughs> what the message is. Yeah. <laughs> Beautifully said, Bruce. I love Everything about you is just so natural, so honest. Thank you so much for being you again. And before we say goodbye, let me ask you two questions. How do you define success these days? I I think you define success as finding inner peace. I I firmly believe that. Unfortunately, it's escaped me. I have felt tinges of it, but I think that's the success. You have friends and family, a loving family, I think that's success. And you appreciate what you have instead of not what you don't have. I I think that's how you define success. It's not monetary, it's not uh, material goods, it's it's emotional goods is, is my thought. 
And my last question is, what three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Oh, that's a good, tough one. That's a tough one way to gallery. I think one is to find love. I, I think that's number one. That's key. I, I didn't have that growing up, and I realize now how I missed out on that. So I, I wish that on anybody, including myself, I think number one, I, I think to be satisfied with who you are. Don't try to achieve what others have achieved. Do what you want to do, uh, what you feel good about doing. And the third thing is, that's a tough one. I, I think there's so many of them, but I, I think it's to help others as, as much as you can as, as, as you're in a position to do. And by helping others, you'll help yourself. So I, I think mm. it's a win-win situation. So true. Ah, yes, a trillion times to that. Those mm -hmm. truths, Bruce. Thank you so much for sharing thank them. You, Valeria. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Great. Thank you for asking. So I have a website. It's it's brucerross.ca. So notice there's an R in the middle there. So brucerross.ca. You can buy my, uh, you can get my book through that website. It's also available on Amazon.com and Amazon.ca, which is Canadian version of the Amazon. Those are the three main sources. And uh, I'm not sure, it's called Breaking Free of Depression's Grip. And the Breaking Free, the title, sometimes what people ask me is why the title. It's not breaking free as in traditional sense that there's a dramatic shift but it's breaking free from the, a process, really, of, of, of breaking free of the mental health issues and also breaking free of the stigma of the depression that has brought on. So it's just breaking free of that, being free from, from that stigma. That's the, the key of it, and that's really my book. And if you want to learn about depression, what it's truly like, it's a book for you. I, that, I truly believe that. I've had great comments from people who read it and uh, just have to get the message out. Yes, wonderful. I'll have the link, the Amazon link and your website link on your podcast profile too. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Bruce, for your presence. Valeria, yeah. thank you very much for having me on your program. Awesome. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Bye for now, Bruce. Bye now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Bruce R. Ross and his work, please visit brucerross.ca. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.